Welcome to Citizens Midweek. It's a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at each week's sermon. I'm your host, Jacob Kirby, back again with pastor friend Tim Olson. Pastor friend, that's your name now. Back again with our pastor and friend Tim Olson, uh, looking at week three of our series going through the book of Ruth. Here we go. This week, we were looking at Ruth chapter three as a part of one of our fall sermon series. Um, We've been looking at the book of Ruth the last, presumably, two weeks. That's a good guess. We've been looking at Ruth the past few weeks um, and just taking a look at, you know, I don't know how, what was the overarching... uh, Yeah, thank you. I was like, what do we do in a bunch of circumstances is what was about to come out of my mouth. Um, Taking a look at the book of Ruth and asking ourselves the question, will we trust God? So this week we looked at um, chapter three, where Ruth is encouraged by Naomi to to go to Boaz while he's sleeping, to lay at his feet and trying to get Boaz to to act as her Naomi's redeemer. Um, A lot of stuff there that we talked about in the sermon. Not going to talk about that a lot right now. Go check out the sermon from yesterday. Um, But we also, you know, the question that we asked this week was, what are we going to do in the middle? What are we going to do when we're kind of in the middle of what we think God's asked us to do and the kind of fruition of that and um, looking at the portraits of Naomi and Boaz as two kind of different responses to what they're going to do in response to the middle and in response to kind of the unknown as things are working themselves out according to God's plan. So for Naomi, her response was um, to kind of step in to insert herself as as God a little bit and try and come up with a way forward. Naomi is kind of the portrait of, I'm going to take matters into my own hands when things seem ambiguous, when things aren't working out as quickly as I hope they would. And then Boaz is kind of the portrait of, I'm going to wait on the Lord's response. I'm going to wait for the Lord to tell us what to do. I'm going to act in faithful patience and an expectation that the Lord is going to move. And Ruth is kind of just in the middle. We didn't talk about her as much this week. She's kind of in the middle as kind of the the figure of their actions like they're she's the one they're trying to move one way or the other but um yeah that was kind of the two portraits what what are we going to do in the middle are we going to take matters into our own hands and kind of usurp god in a way are we going to wait on god um as boaz did i think the part that stood out to me the most was just kind of seeing naomi uh kind of go through a bunch of shifts in in her mindset over the last couple of chapters like it seems like she's kind of a pendulum back and forth on trusting God or trusting herself or waiting on the Lord or kind of taking matters into her own hands. It feels like we've seen this really hot, this really crazy back and forth for her. And, you know, we wrapped up chapter two with her um, expressing trust in the Lord again and being thankful for the Lord's blessing. And then immediately going to chapter three where she's like, all right, time to take matters into my own hands. Um, and I just think, you know, that's, we said this in week one or two of like, we are Naomi in this story in a lot of ways. We're not, we're not nearly as much like Ruth or Boaz as we're like Naomi. Um, and just, you know, seeing her and kind of wanting to laugh a little bit about how back and forth her mind is, how divided her thoughts are on the Lord and his provision and sovereignty throughout the circumstance. And just seeing that, like how fickle we are as people, as sinners that do the same thing, like how many different ways has the Lord proven his faithfulness to us and to me? And then me to still, you know, on a Tuesday be like, yeah, but <laughs> is it that easy to trust in the Lord? Is he going to do this specific thing? I know he's done these 10 specific things that I'm so thankful for. have definitely written them in my gratitude journal, but what about this one? <laughs> and just kind of relating to me in that way um, as a really double-minded, you know, double-minded character in the story. Um, but yeah, what about you, Tim? What stood out to you kind of while you were preparing for this week's sermon? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is I talked about it a little bit 
uh, last night. But the fact that both of the main two kind of characters in this chapter, both Boaz and Naomi, both take action. So it's not like when you when you look at Boaz uh, in kind of the second half of Ruth chapter three, it's not like him waiting on the Lord. It just means he just sits back. Like it's not like oh, I'm waiting on God. I'm just going to kind of chill, hang out. The Lord's going to figure it out. I'll wait for a sign, or I'll wait for him to like make it happen. He takes just as much direct action as Naomi does, but he's willing to do it the way that God designed it. Right. So he says to Ruth, "I want to redeem you." I mean, he says like he's like I think uh, we didn't kind of get into this, but it's a fascinating his response. Uh, to Ruth in verse 10. He says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So he's <laughs> right. like, thanks for choosing the old guy. This is awesome. That's where I felt about it. It's like in, when reading the story, Boaz's age just went up like 20 years in right. my mind when we were reading that. It's like, oh, is he some like sad old man that's like, oh, thank you. He's like, thanks for choosing <laughs> thanks the old guy. Thanks for paying attention to me. Thanks for hanging <laughs> out, Ruth. Um, but it, so he wants to. He wants to redeem Ruth. He sees it as a good thing, but he says there's another redeemer. And so we're going to walk the process correctly. I'm not going to supersede it. I'm not going to go around it. I'm not going to go against the Lord's will. But yet he takes decisive action. That morning, he wakes up and goes immediately to the gate that we're going to see in Ruth 4 right. to address the issue with this other potential redeemer. And so the, the call on waiting on God in the middle even from Psalm 62, that waiting is not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. It's a, I'm going to wait on the Lord. But that means, yes, my, my waiting is a posture, but it's also, I'm going to take some steps forward under the guidance of God, right? So if we're waiting on God to show up in his faithfulness to us, that doesn't mean all we do is just sit back, right? So uh, give a really tangible, easy example. I'm waiting on God in the midst of my job search, right? I need a job. I'm looking for a job. Waiting on the Lord means that we're patient, mm-hmm. that we're not anxious, we're not fearful, we trust Him, we rest in His providence and kindness, but we still apply for jobs. So I search for jobs. <laughs> right? And so we don't go around the will of the Lord, and we also don't have passivity and just sit back, which is against the will of the Lord. Mm-hmm. We take active steps, but a posture of waiting on the Lord in the middle means every step of the way, I'm going to trust myself to Him, and I'm not going to run against His will, in front of His will, or just sit back and do nothing. Right. And we said that a little bit last week, too, of like, do the doing like do what we mm-hmm. know and yep. do what we know is right and seems right based on what we know about the lord's character and let him reveal to us along the way Absolutely. what's, what's going to kind of happen mm-hmm. what are we going to dive deep on this week tim yeah, so this is kind of a holdover from chapter two into chapter three. It's kind of a connected tissue. So thought about doing it last week, decided to wait for this week. But I want to talk a little bit about the timing in which this story takes place in the Jewish calendar specifically. Okay. So in kind of the Jewish calendar, they had a season or a series of feasts that would take place during different uh, times of the year, different seasons, all of that. And so the, the timeline that we're given of what's happening with Ruth is that a harvest has returned. She goes to the field. She gleans in Boaz's field. And then it says that seven weeks have passed, the end of chapter two. And so what that means is that we've come to the seven week part of the harvest, which is known as the Feast of First Fruits Hmm. or the Feast of Weeks or, spoiler alert, the Feast of Pentecost. So here's what's happening. Old Testament history, right? Feast of Pentecost, this celebration of the harvest, this celebration 
of the first seven weeks. So seven is this number of completion right. in Jewish culture, in the Bible, uh, in God's story. Seven is this kind of this number of fulfillment, right? Seven days of creation, right. um, all these different aspects. And so when we get to the seven weeks, the Feast of Pentecost is this feast of fulfillment, this feast of the harvest has come. We're bringing in the first fruits of our harvest. We're celebrating, eating, drinking, all of that. That's actually what most scholars argue is the feast Boaz is at when right. Ruth goes to him at night mm. as he's celebrating the Feast of Pentecost cost in the fields right. as they would often do now which is so this would have been seven weeks after passover seven weeks after passover yeah. yet when they returned mm -hmm. home to bethlehem so it's taking place at pentecost now notice what's happening here in the story of ruth ruth who's a foreigner is being welcomed into the people of god most notably when during the feast of pentecost yeah. now Fast forward, right? Mm -hmm. Acts chapter two, Holy Spirit, Jesus yeah. leaves, Holy Spirit descends on his disciples, right? Yeah. Peter gets up, preaches this crazy sermon, invites the people to repent. 5,000 people from all different nations and yeah. tongues are welcomed or grafted mm. into the people of God at Pentecost. Yeah. And so you have this really cool kind of foreshadowing in the book of Ruth of here's a foreigner absent from the people of God, being grafted into the family of God on the Feast of Pentecost. And then 1,200 years later, after the Messiah lives, dies, rises again, goes to the right hand of the Father, where his followers preach a sermon. And now you have a whole ton of Gentiles being grafted into the family right, of God. Right. And so Ruth is a promise of God's faithfulness, not just for the Jewish people, but it's also a promise of God's faithfulness for the Gentile. Right. For all of us who are not born Jewish, who are mm. you know grafted in, as Paul talks about in Galatians, that are, are welcomed into the family of God through the blood of Christ are included in the promise of Abraham. Right. Right. That he would, through Abraham, bless not just that nation, but many nations. And so you have this cool foreshadowing in Ruth 2 and 3. Because they're hey, Moabites. Because right? they're Moabites. Yeah. yeah. So Ruth, Ruth as a foreigner, not a part of the people of God, being welcomed in at Pentecost, just yeah. like we and other non-Jewish people are welcomed in at the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool... It's just a cool portrait, like this almost like twin stories there, like two... You know, I mean, how many hundreds of years were those have been a part at this point? Do we have it? 1200. So it's 1200 yeah. after the promise, 1200 before the fulfillment. Yeah. Wow. What do you think that means for us kind of as people, you know, 21st century readers of an Old Testament and New Testament context? Like, what are we supposed to think and respond with in light of that? Yeah. So I think it's important for us to remember that we are uh, covenant theologians. We're mm. covenant people of God, right? Sure. And so what that means is that we believe that God has primarily dealt with his people through covenants. Mm -hmm. His old covenant, Old Testament, how he worked uh, with a specific nation, the Israelites, all the biological descendants right, of, of Abraham. Abraham up until the promised Messiah. But then there's a flip when Jesus comes and we are told uh, throughout the New Testament, particularly uh, I think about Romans, I yeah. think about Ephesians, I think about Hebrews, where the promise is said that this is not just for for uh, biological descendants of Abraham, but spiritual sons yeah. and daughters of Abraham. And how we have a new sign of the new covenant, mm. which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the welcoming of the Holy Spirit that he gives to you when you become a believer, right. when you become a Christian. And so what I think is, is fascinating as Gentile believers, which all of us who are not Jews are Gentile right. believers, I think there are two implications of uh, this event in Ruth happening mm. during Pentecost. The first implication is that God is um, continuing to promise that he is a redeemer and one who brings salvation, not just for the Jew, but also for the yeah. Gentile, right? So he promises that to right. Abraham in Genesis. He says, I'm going to make, I'm going to bless 
all nations through you. Not just the Israelite nation. All nations are going to be blessed through you, which is a foreshadowing that the Messiah is going to come from the line of Abraham. But also, he continues to remind us of that promise throughout. Hmm. He does it through... um, just a bunch of different examples. He does it through a number of different examples throughout the Old Testament. I think about uh, Rahab, right? Who's uh, from the land of Canaan, who's included into the people of God. I think about Esther. I think about Tamar, some of these different examples. But then here in Ruth, he reminds us of that promise. He says, no, there will be non-Jewish people grafted into, welcomed into my family. So the first implication is that God is faithful, not only to fulfill his promises, but to keep reminding us of his promises, that he's writing a bigger story, that when we read the Old Testament, it's not just, okay, here's God with this nation far away in a long time ago called the Israelites, but it were gleaning glimpses of how God interacts and treats his people, as well as promises along the way of what that means for us as Gentile believers. Mm. The second implication is that we are a part of the family of God, right. that we are included in, that we are uh, sons and daughters of God, that God cares about us as he cares about his people, that he welcomes us into the family, that there's not tears of believers, there's not second class, there's not um, you know, these kind of disparities. It's like, no, we are included into the promises and story of right. God. And so as the new covenant people of God, sealed by the spirit, not by the flesh, but sealed by what Christ has done on the cross and the spirit that he pours out on his people, that we are grafted into the entire story of God that God has been yeah. written. And so we can read from Genesis 1 through the end, Revelation 21, and we can see this not as two dysfunctional stories that show two kind of pictures of God and we don't know how to connect them, but show one story of God that God is writing of his faithfulness to his people. And so we read Ruth and we go, okay, this is how God deals with his people, including those who are outside of the the national people of God in the Old Testament. This is how he welcomes them in. How much more does he welcome us in, even as foreigners, strangers, and enemies? I think too, it's, you know, it's a good reminder for us too that there is really no like typecasting in Christianity (laughs) in terms of like, uh, you, you, if you think you have an expectation of what somebody that's going to follow Jesus is going to be like, well, then you're wrong because God's invited them into <laughs> like, I, I just think there's like this, there's a really bad caricature maybe of like the Jewish faith in the old Testament that it was, um, I don't know, particularly race based. And obviously like they're the covenant people of God based on their nationality. Um, but the intention from the beginning has always been for the Jews to be a light to the nations, right. For them to, to be the, the manner by which other people would come to know God. So like, I think sometimes there's this bad maybe caricature that um, it was a Jewish faith until um, Acts basically. But then we see in this story, like, no, like the intention has been to invite people in to God's covenant family long, long, long before that too. You know, like this has been the heart of the father to invite all nations unto worshiping himself for a very, very long time. But I think sometimes we have this like, there was a racial line, only Jews for thousands of years and then everybody else and certainly the good news came to the Jews first and then the Greeks. That's what the old New Testament says too. But like we, we see this thread of the heart of God to, to have all nations be a part of his covenant family for a really long time. And I think there's implications even in how the Israelites were commanded by God to treat those outside right. of the covenant people. Uh, you know, we talked about this last week, but the gleaning laws right. also included the foreigner and the sojourner, mm-hmm. those who weren't a part. Why Ruth can go to the field and glean, yeah. even as a foreigner, is because of the laws that gave... Their hospitality and generosity. Yeah, gave space yeah. to that. And then also, I mean, over and over and over again, one of God's constant rebukes for his people is that they were supposed to be set apart right. as a light. <laughs> so right. constantly, when they're grumbling... 
he's like, no, you're supposed to be set mm-hmm. apart as a light. When they're wandering and worshiping false idols, he's like, no, you're supposed to be right. set apart. You're supposed to be unique and different and uh, consecrated mm-hmm. to me. And instead of that, you're just folding it in with everybody else <laughs> and looking the same. And yeah. I think there's tons of implications for us, even as New Testament believers on this side of the cross in the empty tomb, is that the same is true for us. Right. That, that so much of the call to holiness, even the definition of what holiness means right. is a set-apartness, that we're mm-hmm. set apart from the world to God, not that we're separated from the world, yeah. but that, you know, as Jesus prays for his disciples, that we would be in the world, but not of the world, right. that we would look set apart, that there'd be something about our lives individually and our lives communally that put the gospel on display, mm. display the, the light of the good news of the gospel. You know, a city on a hill is not right. written to one specific person, right? A city is a collective group of people. Hide it under a bushel. No, no. I'm going to let it shine. But it's mm. not just this one collective. You, you are the yeah. light. You go shine. Yeah. But as a community that right. we're a light that shines just like the Old right. Testament people of God that continues today, even into the age of the church. And, you know, I think the important thing you just said, too, is that our set-apartness was meant to be on display. <laughs> like, it's meant to be seen and, and known by those around us. And, yeah, just a, a convicting in the context that we live in where it's really easy to feel like culture is against Christians sometimes. So, like, we have to be this holy huddle. It's like, well, we're missing the point if we're huddling against, you know, what we see around us. Um, we're meant to be on display for sure. And we see that we're talking about this in the book of Ruth. You know, that's the fun part. It's like we're getting this idea from something way, way sooner than the New Testament. Any final thoughts for today, Tim, as we wrap up? Yeah, we got one week left. Uh, this week in particular, coming up, Ruth 4, is going to be really fun. We're going to celebrate baptisms on Sunday, November yeah. 21st. Uh, and we get to look at uh, kind of what the entire story has been building to. That, uh, spoiler alert, ding, 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 uh, Boaz is going to redeem Ruth. And in doing so, it's going to have crazy uh, foreshadowing implications yeah. for the Messiah. And so it's actually a really good lead in to Advent. Though I don't even think we really planned it that way. But it worked out that leading into Advent, uh, a, a great chance to talk about the gospel uh to zoom out on, on god's redemptive history so really excited about uh kind of wrapping up the series and um yeah all the implications that come with ruth four yeah awesome we're excited to get to baptize a new a new um, church member that's all the time we have for today we'll catch you guys next week